You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we've been in this series um, since August on Genesis, um, but ever since the last couple of weeks, we've started to get introduced to this guy, Abram. His name's not Abraham yet. Um, uh, Abraham means the father of many nations, uh, and that is exactly who who God intends Abram to be. Matter of fact, the minute that God sees Abram, he knows already the Abraham side of Abram's life. He, he already sees in Abram his future and, and his destiny, and, um, and he sees what Abram can't see, and, and, and he calls Abram um, out of his land and, 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 and calls basically Abram to buy in to the vision to the future that Abram can't see yet. And, and this whole time we've been looking at the story of Abram and we've been really focusing less so on Abram, uh, more so on God and more so on the kinds of things that God, um, the kind of things that God does in a life. O- over a period, of, I read over this timeline, he lives 175 years. It's pretty crazy to think about living 175 years, but to see what God does in and through a human being, that, that is what, what takes captive, I think, our hearts and our minds as we read this story. It's not about Abram, it is about faith. It is about what God can do. It's not about what man can do. It's what God can do with a person when he calls somebody. It could have been anybody. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been, could have been anybody. And he, and he calls Abram out of the land of Ur to go and follow him. And Abram doesn't see it all happen. But, but by the time Abram comes to the end of his timeline of his 175 years, he sees what God saw from the very, very beginning. And that is, I think, if anything, maybe the encouragement that we see is we don't have to know altogether the next step. Uh, We don't have to know the next turn or we don't even have to know if we took the right last step. We just know that the one that we're listening to is taking care of it, that he's holding us, that he's catching us, that he's carrying us. And he's the one that's faithful to bring us to the end of our story. And so, and so we have our decisions and we have our mistakes. We have our failures, right? Like nobody in this room is perfect, but, but, but we're learning that, that God is bigger. God is bigger. God is, is good. He's, he's bigger and better than we ever imagined. He's, he's stronger than our greatest enemy. He's better than our greatest idol. And he's winning us. He's winning us. And so that's, that's it. He, it's a man from a long, long time ago, uh, but he's, nothing, he's not unlike us. And, and we're learning, hopefully, to trust and, and follow God um, in, in that way. Um, there's been, um, there's been three, three different words um, that we've been looking at in regard to the growth of Abraham, the, the germination of his faith. The first word was, was, was testing. The second word was waiting. And the third word was battle. If there were three things that I'd hope that you've, you know, we've taken a look at in the last couple of weeks that, that, have, that have talked about how, how did God take a man who was nobody from nowhere with no faith and grow him into somebody with some and great faith and then eventually on his epitaph it would say, of Abram, of Abraham, this great mighty man who, who is friends with God. How did that process take place? The three words I think that we've seen in Genesis chapter 12 and then 13 and then 14 and now coming into 15 has been, has been waiting and testing and, and then the battle, uh, the battles against evil that Abram had to throw his life, life up against. Um, but today I want to ask you about a, a fourth word that, that I think kind of ties all three of those other words together. And that is uh, the word um, doubt. That is the word doubt. Um, what do you do with, with, with doubt? Have you been following Jesus for, for a year now? Have you been following for five years or 10 years? I mean, what would you say is your journey? I mean, hopefully I don't think anybody here is 175 years old, right? Like nobody's over 175. Um, but some of us have been following him from some years. Um, and I would, I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would claim for, you know, I would, I would put before you most likely that in, in whatever amount of years that you've been following Jesus, five years or 10 years or 20 years, 
you've, you've probably run up against some doubt. I mean, I've run up against my fair share of doubt. Uh, I'd probably even say in my 16 years of following Jesus that I probably have more room to doubt or more reason to doubt than I did when I first started. Um, uh, what do you do with doubt? What, what happens when, when the things that you see doesn't line up with things that God says? What, 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 is, your, what is your habit? What is your, uh, your, your, your tendency? Um, I used to be a teacher. I talk about this a lot. Um, um, there's, there's a lot of happy things that go on when you spend time with teenagers. There's a lot of sad things that go on too. You, you have access to a lot of sad uh, stories because um, you have people like really in the formation of their life, you know, um, people when they're 16 and when they're 17, they're not jaded yet. They're not hurt yet. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. And so they see the world is really bright, you know, bright-eyed, both in church and like I did youth group and I did teaching. And, and so there isn't really a lot of doubt. There's a lot of faith, you know, whether it's good faith or bad faith, it's, it's faith. They, they believe in a brighter future, you know. And, and, um, but um, one of the things that, that, really, that really shook my faith, you know, in the waiting season, the testing season, and in the battle um, was, was, uh, was the death of a student named, named Gary Fan. In my second year of teaching, um, one of my advanced classes, there's a kid named Gary um, who was like one of the brightest students uh, in my class. And he, um, he, he, he was just, just one of these, the quintessential kid of just going to Duke and super excited about his life and loved to go to school. He didn't complain about it. He didn't complain about, you know, grades and so forth. And he just loved life. And, and uh, it, it's just like one of those things, you know, he, he, he passed away in a car accident on the way to school one day. It was too rainy and there was a hydroplaning situation. And, um, and his vehicle collided um, on 85, uh, right around Whitehorse Road going up to, to Southside High School where he was to teach. And uh, a semi-truck ran into the side of his car. And, um, and, and this was, whatever, 2007. This is my second year of teaching. And... Um, and so he was in the hospital um, for, for probably about a week or so, kind of, kind of on life support. And, and I think the school had let us, you know, um, go and visit him, I think, together. And so um, we had taken classes there in Greenville Memorial Hospital. We went up to the room and, and visited him. And, 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 um, and we don't have access, guys. Like, we don't have access to, to death nearly as much as other civilizations do and other times. Like, we don't see it face-to-face, you know, especially... Uh, young death, you know, in that way. We don't see it every day. We're not, you know, we're not conflicted with it. And so we went up to the, to the floor, and I remember one of my students' t- uh, parents was the doctor there. Um, and, and we went in one by one, and the mom was there, and she was kind of, they were Christian, and, and she was praying for uh, Gary, and, and uh, he didn't look like himself, and it was, it was a very kind of traumatic experience for all of us, I mean, especially um, teenagers that had never seen anything like that. And so... Um, I remember talking to the, to, um, the, doc, the doctor, Dr. Gammy, who was uh, the, the father of one of the students, and, and he was kind of telling me in a sort of the adult sort of way, like, a, like with his body language and eye contact, that like this wasn't really turning out anywhere positive, like this wasn't going to turn around. And that, that mainly, I think what happens is that, you know, you have to, you have to hold out to the best hope, and you, and you put people on life support, and you want to see it go as far as it possibly can, but at the end, you know, I think they just had seen enough of this that they assumed that it wasn't going to go well. He had too much hemorrhaging and too much brain damage. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't buying it, you know. I think I was like 24 at the time, um, just really inspired in my faith at that time for the possibility of healing, for the possibility of, of miracle and, 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 and breakthrough. And, and uh, 
and, and maybe I'm just a youth by heart and I didn't want to succumb to, you know, the statistics. And, and so I, I just told myself, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up and I'm just going to pray, you know, I'm going to pray. And so um, it came down to this one day, I think it was on the weekend, it was on a Saturday and it was about noon that they were going to um, basically uh, pull the plug uh, for the student and they were going to kind of call it quits and end the medical, you know, services. And, um, there was just this kind of, I guess, a live, yeah, it was on the news feed, that's right, on Facebook, and, and everybody was just kind of like sending their prayers and support on his page and so forth and, and praying, and, and all the students, even if they didn't have faith, were hoping and praying and believing, like, we know that you can make it, come on, Gary, you can do this, you can do this, and then, and then 11.45, and then 12 o'clock, and then 12.15, and then 12.30, and, and then, and then the, you can do this turned into, like, you know, we love you, and, and goodbye, and, and rest in peace, and and so forth. And, and I just remember being so just disappointed and frustrated. I mean, this is what I mean by doubt. I share that story to, to connect us to like what we mean. I'm not talking about just intellectual doubt. I'm talking about like when the things that happen in life, the things we see don't line up sometimes with the things that God says. And we can't make sense of it. I mean, that, that's, I think, the, the essence, the, 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 the centerpiece of, of the waiting. It's not the waiting that's the problem or the fighting that's the problem. It's, it's the questions that are the issue, like, is God really who he says he is? And will God really do what he says he, what he, says he does? Um, because no one's really seen, that's what the Bible says, no one's actually seen God completely. No one's seen completely the promises of God. But yet we live and walk in this faith where we have to trust things that we can't see and we have to believe things that we can't see. Sometimes we believe them and then see them rather than see them and then, and then believe them. And, and so anyways, and so we're in, I'm in this spot and, and I just... I wasn't, it wasn't that I, I was struggling with unbelief. I think there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. It's not that I was struggling with unbelief. It wasn't that I didn't believe God was real. It wasn't that I didn't believe that God was good. It was just that I couldn't see what God was saying was actually happening. And I, and I, had, to, and I had to struggle with that. And I had to wrestle with that. And, 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 I, and, I, and I believed in healing. I mean, I see healing in the Bible. And I believe in resurrection. I see resurrection. I believe that God loves kids. And I see that in the Bible. And I believe that... that, that he wants to do everything for people that ask things in his name. Like this, he'll move mountains and more, right? That, that this is the God that we believe in. But I'm wrestling with this, and the things that I see don't add up to the things that, that God is saying. And, 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 and so, and so that's, that's the troublesome thing. Unbelief, I think, is calling God a liar, you know? Unbelief means that you stop believing in God. That God says that he's good, and you say, no, you're not good, God. I don't believe that you're good anymore. Unbelief, you know, God says, like, I've, I've got you, I'm for you. You say, no, you don't. No, you're not. You're not for anybody. You know, you're for, you're for yourself. You're, you're for your own reputation. You're, you're, you want to be the big, you know, cosmic killjoy that sits distant from my life and is detached. And, 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 and that's a way to believe. But that's not what I mean by that. That's not what doubt is. Um, doubt is just, is just, is actually belief. It's a kind of belief. Doubt is saying, I do believe what you're saying. This is the classic prayer. And remember in the book of Matthew where, where one of the parents is crying out to Jesus, will you heal my child? Will you heal my child? And, and Jesus says something like to him, hey, don't you believe? And he says, yeah, I do believe, but I have this unbelief as well. And these two things, they live inside of me, this belief and this unbelief, you know? And I think if we say that we don't have this, this doubt in our life, I think we're either lying to ourselves or we're not aware with what's really going on inside of us because whether we think it and say it or whether or not we, we act on it, all of us have this tension of this parent. And so he has this prayer that I think we pray a lot in, our, in ourselves. If we're really honest with ourselves is, Lord, I do believe, but I, I, I need you to help my unbelief in this situation. I do believe, but I need you to help me to overcome this unbelief you know, in my heart because what I see doesn't line up with, with, what, with what you say. And so we could ignore that 
Like that prayer, I believe, it's somewhere. It's got to be somewhere when we see children die, when we see the, you know, the divorce rate look the same inside and outside the church, and when we see you know, the statistics of church go down, or we see another church pastor fall, or whatever it is that we see that doesn't line up, that, that lines up more with the rhetoric and, and the belief systems of people that don't read the Bible and don't trust in Jesus. You know, like, like, like there has to be a tension and a wrestling there because you can't ignore it. And the reality is our actions are always responding to what we believe. And what we say and what we do are actually more adept in explaining to us and what it is that we actually believe between the ears. And so, so, so there isn't an option not to not deal with, or with, with, with doubt. There isn't an option because our actions will, will, will act on it, whether or not we say we believe it or not. So that's the question this morning. It's like, what do you do with that doubt? We all have it. We all have some, some level of it. And, and the Bible talks, it doesn't actually, it doesn't not only avoid it, it engages it. And it, and it actually leverages it to, to carry on the story of faith for many more people than Abram. That's exactly, we'll get into Abram's doubt today, and that's why I bring up the topic of doubt. But in the life of John the Baptist, right? You're thinking about that in Matthew when here's a guy that Jesus said was greater than any man and, you know, has ever put on sandals or whatever. This is the greatest prophet ever, except for Moses. And this is a guy who's in prison and questioning whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, you know, ultimately has, is beheaded and assassinated because of what he, you know, something he says um, <clears throat> politically the wrong way during his life. And, and, and you look at, you know, Elijah and Elisha, all these people, David ha, ha, struggles with, with doubt and unbelief. Like you, you, you look at, you look at Moses, you know, you look at Peter, you look at John, you look at Paul, like, like nobody sees the whole picture. Nobody sees the full thing. And so there's this doubt that's, that's inevitably part of our life. And, and when, you, when you look at this story, and it's, we'll get into it, and, but when you look at all of those, those stories and your stories and mine, I think what we find is that doubt is actually not a detour. Doubt is part of the process. That in the waiting season and in the fighting season, doubt is a pathway to faith. The questions, the, the struggles, the tensions, those, those, those feelings that we have, the, the, the wrestlings that we have, those things are part of the story. And to ignore them, to circumvent them, to plastic them up, to pretend like they're not there, to shove them aside or shovel them under the, the carpet. There, there, there are entire schools of thought, you know, and denominations and, and, and cultures within church where, you know, you're, you're judged as a heretic or you're judged um, as somebody that's not strong in their faith or, or not mature if you're asking questions. You're going to see Abram, ask direct questions of God in Genesis chapter 15. And God's not only going to not shun him or rebuke him, he's going to embrace him and pull him in and see that Abram's faith has grown because uh, and despite, despite his doubt. Doubt is not, dot, doubt, which is, the, which is not the same thing as unbelief or calling God a liar, is a pathway, is a vehicle into um, what real biblical faith is all about. All right, <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 15, if you're just joining us, um, just a bit of a catch up. Abram um, has just gotten done with a series of these uh, mini wars where um, he, he, uh, he has a nephew named Lot who is uh, kidnapped by these warlords um, that are in neighboring uh, kingdoms just next to Abram. Uh, and uh, he and Lot were separated at the time, but not by, not by heart and not by spirit. And so Abram was just kind of, not single-handedly, he went with 318 guys technically, but took, take on a huge... Um, uh, uh, um, uh, he, he, he took on a, a, a huge uh, uh, fleet of army of people, of, of soldiers, and um, was incredibly under um, an, an underdog in this scenario and came out on top and got all of his people um, back. 
Um, and so it says, after this, God uh, speaks to Abram in a way that's very unique in all of the Bible. Like maybe it's like top five raw presence interactions that any human has ever had in the Old Testament um, with God is this following chapter, Genesis 15. It says, after this, the word of the Lord, it comes to Abram, comes to Abram in a vision. And God says to him, do not be afraid, Abram. He says, I'm your shield and your very great reward. Verse two, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram says, you have given me no children, so, but a, uh, so a servant of my household will be my heir. Uh, so so uh, in, in, in uh, verse one, where, where God says, do not be um, afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. Uh, the last time that God was speaking with Abram, uh, he gave him a series of promises. He told Abram that Abram was going to be um, a great nation. He told Abram was going to be a great name. He was going to be blessed. He was going to be um, a blessing to the nations and so forth. And um, in, in the beginning of this promise, uh, which is this kind of second development of the covenant, uh, starts almost the same way, except instead of saying, I will, uh, the, the, the covenant begins with, I am. Um, it, it, it's, it's noteworthy, I think, that uh, the beginning of the sentence begins with God, begins with I, that God is going to be the conductor of this promise and move the story forward for Abram. But instead of talking about what God is going to do uh, for Abram, he's talking about who God is going to be for Abram. He says, I am going to be your shield and your very great reward. And he says to Abram, and this is why it ties into the introduction this morning. He says to Abram, do not be afraid. The reason why I'm coming to you is to speak um, to your fear. That's going to be very important because um, Abram doesn't bring up the conversation. God brings up the conversation and God knows and God accepts um, where Abram is in his heart. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. And, and we have to pause and think here, like what is it that Abram has to be afraid of? I suppose in sort of natural terms and in, in the short-term consequence of the thing, he could be afraid of the multiple armies you know, that he's just put down and now he's kind of the, the, uh, the king of the hill, so to speak, with uh, the target on his back because he has you know, d- dominion over the one area and he has all the possessions you know, that, that he has just gained from this fight. Um, so he could be, could be afraid of that. But if you look at the comment that Abram makes, he says, oh, sovereign Lord, he's not saying uh, all these people have my back and uh, are at my back or at my neck and my throat and I'm gonna be in trouble. He makes a comment not about his circumstance, but about the, the status of the promise. He says, hey, you, I believe you, know, you, are, you, are, you are who you say you are. And I am starting to believe that um, you know, you're not a peer or an equal with the moon God and the, and the fish God and the water God and the rain God that I used to believe in in Ur. Uh, but I wanna talk more about this. I wanna talk more about the promise. I have questions. I, I have doubts. I have um, things in my heart that um, I, I feel like contend with your promise. And I, I think you could and would speak to. And he says, so I want to speak to, to that. I want to, I want to talk a little bit more into that conversation. He says, I, I'm going to remain childless right now. The, the person who owns my estate is Eleazar, who seems like a decent guy, you know, pays his taxes and, um, you know, keeps his lawn pretty well manicured and so forth, doesn't get in trouble with the HOA, but, but he's not the promised child and he's not from me. And so he, he brings this question up to him. And, and so Abram's very rich, you know, that's the thing is, is, is Abram's got a lot going for him. He's pretty rich. Um, he's, he's in the area he's supposed to be living. He has an ongoing uh, relationship with God. He has his wife. 
Um, he has his family, and it seems to be that he's being pretty successful in terms of fighting and, and in protection and provision. He seems to have all of the go-ahead, the green light with God, and everything's going well. But, but it speaks to the angst of Abram that knows that he can have good things and not yet still have uh, acquisition of the promise of God. You know, that he, he doesn't see the full fruition of, of what God says. And, um, and I, think, I think we can relate to that, you know? Like, um, I, I would guess that, you know, whenever it is that you, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, whenever it is you began your journey, if it was in a middle school camp or something like that, or maybe it was with a grandmother who um, you prayed a prayer, maybe it was at the back of a service, or maybe it was at an AA meeting, or maybe it was, you know, something um, kind of, big life change that happened in your life, whatever it may be, um, oftentimes, you know, bringing up the end of the 175 years, the end of the timeline versus uh, at the beginning of it when you're looking forward to the end of it. The end of it, once we get there, doesn't look exactly like the way that we imagined it. Um, and I think that's what, what, what it would be like to get into Abram's shoes here is to, is to, is to remember, you know, when, when, we first, when we first follow Jesus, you know, usually, potentially, if, if, if you were, you know, like, like me, at least, I don't know, I, I, I imagine, oh, we're going to change the world and everything's going to be crazy and, and I'll probably walk on water and there's going to be all this stuff and it's going to be, you know, more immediate than it actually happens and more dramatic than it actually happens. And, and, and I think Abram's just saying, hey, like, it's been about 25 years now, you know, like, this is a couple of decades with almost no, um, no progress whatsoever in terms of the development of this promise. And so this is where Abraham is. Verse four, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him and this man, uh, and, and God says to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son is coming from your own body uh, that will be your heir. Um, he will, uh, and he took him from the outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your, your offspring be. So this um, actually reminds me a lot of Genesis 2 when he says that this person is going to come out of your body. This person is going to be flesh of your flesh and, and blood of your blood. The same way that Adam waited for, for Eve, he's, he's kind of tipping his hat to the fact that like this is as much as I can just create a woman out of uh, thin air, I suppose, is, is, is as much as I will be able to do the impossible in your life, Abram. I will fulfill my promise. And this will not be kind of a metaphor for a son or a descendant. This will be a, a literal son and a descendant that will come out of your offspring, Abram. And, uh, and so he... he he ups the ante big time, you know? I think that we have opportunities to read the Bible and we can think about them in terms of metaphors or we can think about them in terms of symbolisms, you know? Um, but God is, is narrowing the scope for what he counts as uh, the fulfillment of the promise. He's like, this is exactly what you're gonna get. The, 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 the greatest scale and the highest uh, stakes of what you would expect to, to, to see in terms of the fruition of this promise, it's gonna be that. It's gonna be your DNA, um, you know, he, he's going to be born out of, of your bloodline, is what he says to Abram. And then it says, verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's a very important verse. I'll get back to that. Verse seven, he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram says, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So verse six, as I mentioned earlier, if there's one, if there's one, um, passage, you know, that could put preachers out of business. You know, they could just send you home and say, listen, you don't need to listen to a whole, any other sermon for the rest of your life. Some of you guys might be relieved by that. Uh, it's verse six. And it's this. I mean, if there's one thing that ties together covenantal theology from Genesis to Revelation, the most important kind of verse that we would ever rest our eyes on is this, is this reality. Uh, Moses would say it. Paul will say it. Peter will say it. Jesus will say it. Righteous people, right people, right people, people that live right with God, like God for God, people that walk hand in hand with God, people that 
lived in the garden, people that got out of the garden but desire to live like they're in the garden, people that live as disciples of Jesus, people that live sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This is their mantra. This is what, this is what if you're a person of faith, this is what your mantra is. It says, the righteous will live by faith. Abram believed the Lord. This is what makes the person righteous. Right, not, not just like following the rules. I mean, in the Jewish sense, like the real, deep, holistic sense of the word. Like, like healthy, wholehearted, living with and for and like Jesus. This is, this is what the Bible defines it as. We would pay attention to it. Verse six, Abram, you and I, believing in the Lord, are credited a right living, a right relationship with God. Everybody's looking for, for peace, right? Like there, there's people that have millions of dollars and, and, and have stuff that we'll never be able to afford and never own and just wish that they could pay any amount of money just to have a little bit of peace to have a little bit of closure, to have a sense of like, I belong in the world and I know where I fit. That's what they mean by righteousness, right? That's what this Bible means. When it says righteousness, when it says to hunger and seek for, and thirst for righteousness, it's not, it's not talking about like staying out of prison. It's talking about a, a real kind of integration into who we're supposed to be. And, and, and the Bible's saying like, hey, look at, you know, I'm God. And obviously we, like, that's what the Bible is claiming is, is that it's the inerrant word of God. The word of God is saying, the, the way to righteous living, the way to walking hand in hand with God is not, is not doing stuff. This is, this, is, this is critical. This is important. Like the way, the way that we walk to find the things that millionaires would pay millions to get and still can't get to, the way that we do that is, is, is through faith. And, and, and so, and so what, what we think oftentimes, like if you just pull the random person off the street or if we ask ourselves a, a weaker moment and we're not really thinking about it, you know, we act and live and think a lot of times that righteous living and, and, and right walking and living with God comes from doing the right stuff. It, it comes from saying the right things and developing the right habits. It, it, it comes from writing worship songs and giving our money away to the poor and calling our mother on Mother's Day. And it comes from um, being smart and doing good in school. And, and, and the way to, you know, the fulfilled life, the integrated life is by doing right things. But this Bible and this scripture, according to, and specifically about this guy, Abram, it's, it's trying to make a very bold claim that none of that stuff, none of that stuff, none of that stuff matters or makes a difference or scratches the surface if it doesn't change the fact of simply believing in God. Like this is what the passage wants us to see so clearly. Verse six, Abram believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. Of course, we bring it up a lot and harp on it because Hebrews 11 talks about it all the time and, and Paul talks about it in all of his letters. That's kind of the thesis statement of everything that he's saying. This is, what we, this is how we uh, 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 enter into abundant and eternal life is, is through faith, is through belief and through trust in God, through a conversation. It's a pretty incredible idea. It's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible claim and concept to think this way. And so, th but this is why this should strike us as good news in the, in the passage. Like I isolated it for a second to think about it, but I want to bring it back into the passage now. Because what this passage is basically saying in verse five, he took him outside, basically takes him by the arm, has a father-son moment with him, says, I know that you're scared. Actually, I brought up the conversation by telling you you're scared. Like, so even if Abram's not thinking he's scared, he's going, hey, I know that you don't think you're scared, but you are scared and you should be scared. If you're not scared, it's because you're not paying attention to what's around you, Abram. Um, but he's going, I got this. And he's saying to Abram, he's going, he takes him outside. He puts his arm around him. He puts his eyes up on the, on the ceiling, up towards the stars. And he says, if you can count all these stars, 
Somebody said, I read somewhere that you could maybe see 1,200 stars from the naked eye at that point in time. At least 1,200 descendants. He's going, I've got this. And it says, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. What that verse says to us, I think, if you look at it in, the, in the context and the run of the passage, is that here's a guy who's asking questions. He is, he is speaking to God about the, like, the only thing, the main thing that God has promised Abram. Hey, look, Abram, you're going to have descendants. You're going to have, uh, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to change your name to mean father. Like, I'm going to do all this stuff. And here's Abram, a couple decades into his life, and he is looking face to face with God, telling God he's not sure if he believes what God said. He's telling God directly to his face, I'm not sure if, if you are saying, if you, if you know what you're saying, and if you can do what you say you're gonna do. I mean, I know that you helped me win against these thousands of people all throughout you know, the neighboring tribes. And I know that you like turned Egypt on its head because I went down there and you gave Pharaoh a dream and put a bunch of like, you know, um, a, attacked him with boils or whatever and attacked and, 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 and caused him to release me based on, you know, despite my, my mistakes. But at this point in his life, he's not believing. But yet it says in verse six, Abram believed the Lord, which says a lot about the nature of belief. When you look at even Hebrews 11 and it lists all the things that Sarah does and Abram does and Joseph does, it doesn't make a huge deal about, uh, about all the negative things and the doubt that, that they bring up in their life. And, 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 And so we find ourselves in good company. If you're in that spot today and you struggle with unbelief the way that that I do and the way that many of us, uh, you know, that we all do, I think, this is the way that the Bible sees that kind of conversation. He says, I didn't count you as righteous because you had all the doctrines all set up or because you um, did all the right things or you had all your ducks in a row or because you performed the right way. He says, I counted you as righteous because you believed, Abram, because... You, you trusted. And he counts everything for, that we've read so far, verses one through five, as the qualitative nature of belief, even questions, even doubts, even, even, the, even the conversations in the middle of the night when God has to put his arm around us and take us outside and remind us of a few things and to speak to us and, and that sort of thing. He, he calls that righteous faith. He, 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 he likes that even more than, I mean, he, he's counting that as, 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 as true and real and, and, and deeper than kind of Sunday school scripture memorization as, as actual faith. He says, that's the kind of faith. Verse six is, is showing us that that is the kind of faith that pleases God. And that is the kind of faith that is transforming Abram. So verse seven, he says, uh, also he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. And verse eight says, but Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? I was thinking about that passage this week, and um, I was telling some of my some of my guys, some of my friends at um, at, at, the, at the men's lunch the other day that I'd found this uh, website in China that sells um, Air Jordans. And uh, if you know me at all, that makes me very excited. Um, I never had a bunch of money as a kid, and so I couldn't afford you know all the shoes that I wanted. And now I you know don't have don't have a ton of money. I have a ton of kids, anyways. And so even if I did, it wouldn't really matter. And so um, I found this place that that sells shoes at a pretty reasonable clip, and um, and, and my birthday's in January, and so I kind of had stored away my money, and, and uh, I had put it on my little Christmas list, you know. Cairo asked, you know, what, what I want for Christmas, and I was like, oh, you know, it's, I mean, it's nothing. I just want some Tinker Toys or maybe these Air Jordans, and I, like, sent her the link. And so she's like, Oliver, she's like, there's no way that I'm going to get you those stupid shoes, you know. She didn't say it like that. She didn't think the shoes were stupid, but 
She's like, I'm not gonna get them. And she said, uh, and the reason why is because it's super sketchy. And guys, it's super sketchy. I'll show you the link, but it's just super sketchy. But I'm just thinking about it, you know, in the middle of the night. And I'm like, looking up, I'm like, Lord, no, it's not about the promise of God. Totally not, totally not about, totally not about faith at all. Just about me and my stupid shoes. And so uh, you have to wire the money. I mean, it's like, it's just not, it's not good. It's not good. She said, you have to wire the money or you have to, um, or you have to, um, you have to use Zelle, you know? And it's like, the only thing worse than wiring money and never seeing it again is using Zelle and then having them counterfeit your uh, identity and steal your money two ways. And so I did it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so I'm like sitting there, you know, it's like January, February, like I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I get fixated on certain things and these are Jordan 11s and they're the best Jordans of all time. I could sit you down and tell you exactly why the Jordan 11s are the best. And, and so I find this website and I get to this point and I tell myself, I go, if I lose the $125 of this thing, you know, I send them a little birthday money that my dad sends me in a red envelope. The Chinese people, they don't give you stuff. They just give you money. They, it's a sweaty envelope. And I just had that cash. And I told Kyra, I was like, listen, you know, I could take this. I could burn it and throw it in the trash can or I could send it to this Chinese site and just have it steal me. So I might as well do it this way. This is what I'm going to do. So a couple weeks ago, I sign up for this thing. And my heart is like racing. I'm like, what's going to happen? Am I going to get a virus on my computer? Like, I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I go over to the Publix lady and this Publix lady is like, now, are you sure you want to do this? And like all this stuff, you know, they have to like tell you, they print out a receipt when you go on wire money, if you've never done this before, but they print out a receipt. I told ladies, I just did a marriage yesterday and signed an officiation thing. And it was nowhere near as long as this. Is there something that I need to know? Am I going to get like kidnapped or something? She was like, you just need to know that this money will not come back. I was like, I know. I was like, I already have it set up in the cost benefit analysis that I sent away this money and I never have it back. I'll be okay with it. She was like, well, it's your funeral. And I'm like, why are you saying that? This is not Alexis. Why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And, and so anyways, hey, guys, I just texted the guys this last week. It's in the mail. I ordered it. The shoes are coming. I'm going to wear them next Sunday. Get excited because it's coming. The, the, the DHL, I'm watching it on the shipping right now. It's like, do, 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 from Singapore. It's coming in. I was a little bit worried because I thought maybe you had the flu virus attached to it. But then I was like, hey, I caught the flu anyway, so I'm probably resilient to it so by now, you know? It's just, it's like, of course, everybody's making these jokes about my Chinese shoes and my Chinese flu, and I'd probably have carnivorous or whatever. <coughs> Coronavirus, that's what I meant. That was the Chinese. That's how you say it in Chinese. And so, but like, but like, I would be really fearful. Like I had doubt, like I had a reasonable suspicion here for why this thing, there's a lot of reasons. Like, like I'd be like, Hey, Hey, I type them on Skype, you know? Hey, are they, are you sending the shoes yet? It's like, no, we send shoe. No, I never want to. Cause when I send the shoes, yes, it will be there soon. Like it's like all broken up. Cause they put it in Google translator and I don't understand. I, I, I would, like, I remember there was a little bit less doubt in my heart when I started to talk to them on Skype and they would start to respond. Like that was one of the things, there was a few cues that made me feel better about it. There are little YouTube reviews out there that say that it worked and so forth. And that made me feel a little bit better about it. But I started to think about that, like monitoring, like how much doubt. I had a huge amount of doubt at the beginning of the process, but as they started to talk to me and as they said, there's the Chinese New Year for a little while, because it's been a month now, there's Chinese New Year and then the government really did set that, like it sounded like something that they made up, but it shut down all the DHL and all the shipping and all the factories and things like that for a time because of the, 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 the uh, carnivorous, what is it called? Coronavirus. Yeah. The coronavirus is that, is that I was able to believe in, in, in at least being able to talk to them. Like I had their word, but I didn't have a contract. 
And this is a really important hinge in this story and really the rest of, of the story and, and kind of the Bible in a way. Um, but Abram's in this spot, right? And from Genesis 12 on, he has God's word. He's operated on God's word. When he's had to make decisions, he's gone back to God's word. Uh, when he's been worried and flustered and had to suffer and struggle with doubt, he's, he's gone back to that. But this is what he says, and I think this is what our heart says to God, and God has a response to it. And this is what is really good news for us this morning. He says to, he says to God, he says, um, he says, oh, sovereign Lord, he says, I, you know, I, I, I believe in your word, right? Like, I'm, I'm calling you sovereign Lord. I believe in it. But he says, how can I know? Like, this is what I wanted to tell May Lee over there on the Skype, you know, for these Jordans. How can I know? Like, I don't have, like, there's nothing that I can do to you because you're just, I don't, I'll never see you in my life. There's nothing I can hold you accountable to. How can I know that you're going to send these shoes? I have no knowledge of that. I have faith, I guess. I believe in her and the YouTube video and the combination of that. And my stupidity was enough for me to pull the trigger. But I didn't know, right? And that's what happens when you go to Amazon. Like, you know, Jeff Bezos will make sure that junk will get to your door. Otherwise, you will put a review up there and there's accountability and mechanisms in there. You know you will get your product. If you order something from Apple, you know you get your product. If you order something from CarMax, you're going to get your car. Like, we live in this certainty of receipts and contracts where we know stuff. But Abram's not on a contractual basis. And so here enters in um, the, the, uh, the breaking and the covenant, uh, cutting of the covenant, which is so critical to Abram's, um, Abram's faith. So it says, it says this. So the Lord says, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So watch this. Abram uh, hears this. And not only does he goes and gets this, but he goes and gets like this crazy, bloody, knife thing and starts hashing them up. And you're like, wait a minute, where are you? He didn't tell you to do that. Watch out. So verse nine, it says, uh, or verse 10, Abram gets busy with the animals. He's, he gets the animals. He's like, he, he brings them out. He cuts them in two. You're like, whoa, dude, slow down. He didn't tell you to do all that. He arranges them in these halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down. It's a bloody mess. There's like these vultures that are coming down. It just, a, it sounds like a bad horror movie. Verse 11, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Abram has to drive them away. And then it says, uh, verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Okay, so we read that passage and we don't, um, we don't have any kind of context or, or clue as to what's um, going on. But if you were reading it back then, you would know, um, because whereas we live in a, in a written culture, in a contract culture, um, we, we sign things and we hold people accountable by way of what's on a license or what's on a contract, and I sign it, and I'm accountable for everything on the, on the license, even if I don't read it, if I, do, if I read the fine print, if I clicked and subscribed or dragged or whatever. If I sign it, it's me. I'm, I'm on that thing, you know, for whatever, you know, legal thing that I'm held up in court. They didn't have that sort of thing, and so they lived in a verbal culture. They lived in an oral culture. And, and so when they would cut covenants, they would, they would act it out and they would, they would make it very clear that we were only in one place at one time. And you saw that, right? You saw the animals and did you get the animals? Did you count how many there were? And did you see how much blood it was? Did you see how much it smelled? Did you see the vultures when they came down? Did you get all that? Because it was very obvious what just happened when we were in each other's presence. This is something that you can't go back on. Okay, so, so this, is, this is what's going on. There is a, there is a covenant that is being broken here that, that is taking place. So what is Abram doing with, with cutting? What does he know that we don't know, that God also knows? Is that in the ancient times, this is what it says, and I'll read it out of Jeremiah um, as well. <clears throat> but at the ancient times, the covenant is based on the, uh, <clears throat> the, the killing of these animals because the statement is being made uh, from Jeremiah. Matter of fact, I'll just turn and read it off the screen here. Is that if one person were to break the covenant with another person, 
and they were both to witness the deaths of these animals. What they're essentially saying is that if I break the covenant or if you break the covenant, we are responsible and, uh, and we should suffer. We should suffer the fate of the dead animals that have just been killed. Okay, so that's kind of a, a bit of an over-exaggeratory way. Like I was just thinking about the other day, like if I did a wedding like that, you know, and just like brought a bunch of dead animals and just said, hey, like Darrell's getting married. Darrell, if you ever second guess on this thing, that's gonna be you, bro. Like that'd be a really heavy way to do it, but that's exactly what's going on. So this is what God is saying through the book of Jeremiah. If you go back to um, chapter 34, starting in verse 18. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, he says, I will treat, treat them like that calf. They will be cut in two and then walked uh, between the pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land um, who walked between the pieces of the calf, comma, next slide. I will deliver, <coughs> I'm sorry, guys, I'm a little sick today. I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. So does God know what's going on? Absolutely. Does Abram know what's going on? Absolutely. Is this just a weird kind of Bill Nye episode gone wrong? No. This is a very intentional, beautiful, dramatic thing that's going on that is answering the very prayer that Abram has given, which is, I, I see God, I believe, but help me see what I don't see. And help me, and more importantly, <clears throat> help me to know. Help me to know. Help me to know that I have... Um, um, a, a faith with you, a contract with you, something that I know that you will come through because I'm only getting older and the cost is only getting higher and my enemies are only getting greater and, and I, need to, I need to know as I continue on, you know, I have faith, but help my unbelief. And, 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 and so, so help me to know. And so what has God done? He's created, um, he's created a covenant. But now there's a very interesting dynamic of the way that this covenant kind of vets itself out. If you continue on in verse um, 12, I began it, but we'll continue on. It says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for hundreds of years. So right there, um, he settles down some of Abram's, I wouldn't say doubts, but insecurities about the land. He's going, yeah, Abram, like, I wanna let you know ahead of time. I'm gonna speak to you ahead of time to let you know that you will not, you know, enter fully into the land of promise. You know, you'll be in the land, but you won't fully occupy it. Um, <clears throat> you will see some descendants, but those descendants aren't going to be at the full maturation rate to fully extend into this place. Matter of fact, even in 400 years, Abram, your descendants will not completely um, embody the land or <clears throat> fill up the land. And, and, and so he's kind of putting that to bed. He's, he's letting that rest in Abram. But he says, I will punish the nation, they will serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Um, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites are not yet reached um, its full measure. Abram, out of all the passages, is portrayed as a prophet more, more so than any other passage, I think, in, in his life there. He, he's directly showing, you know, word of knowledge, <clears throat> the future, and exactly what is going to happen as, as the story unfolds. <clears throat> I'm so sorry about that. Um, um, but I think it, it deserves at least mention, as we do, you know, sometimes talk um, about prophecy. Jesus talks that there will be prophets even in the last days, and that um, the prophets are given as a gift to the church until we've reached the full stature of Christ. We're not at the full stature of Christ yet, so, so prophecy still exists. Paul says that prophecy is one of the greatest gifts, and he desires that everyone will prophesy. Um, 
because prophecy is for the encouragement of the saints. And in a sense, the easier way to say that is prophecy means hearing from God. And so what else is more important in faith than be able to hear God and respond to what it says is righteousness is meaning living by faith, right? So prophecy is super important, but, but I think it, it bears to mention that, that prophecy, as it's uh, enumerated here in this passage, as well as in the rest of the Bible, comes true. And, uh, and that is another thing to keep in mind as well as we think about the way that we hear God and the way that we share what we hear from God and the way that we hear what other people have to say about what God is saying is that God is faithful to his word. And when he says he's going to do something, he does it. So when, when he tells Abram exactly what he's going to do, it is not kind of in error uh, or it's not kind of in just guess and estimation. It is, it is absolute truth. And so that's the kind of thing I think we should look at as in terms of a portrait of prophecy or, or the way that we would think about prophecy. Prophecy is for the encouragement of the saints, in this case, Abram. Abram, um, and it is also very accurate, uh, is one note that we would make. But this is probably the most important passage um, to close things up here. Verse 17. It says, When the sun was set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Remember what it said in Jeremiah? It was usually people that passed between the pieces. It was two people that would walk kind of like down the aisle uh, through the corridor of, of blood, is what they would call it, through the corridor of the animals. And again, they were proclaiming to one another that if that if they were to fault on one of these promises that their fate should be like that of the animals that were to the left and to the right. But in this case, remember, Abram's been put out with the old sleepy, sleepy gas, and so he's not there, he's asleep. And, uh, and God has, has decided to appear, uh, which has happened a few times we talked about before, in the form of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, and he passes between the pieces by himself. It would be like if 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 uh, if me and Darrell, you know, like I was saying earlier, Darrell's getting married to his his lovely fiance, uh, uh, Kristen. If Kristen just showed up and Darrell was just taking a nap and just Kristen walked down by herself, that would be kind of awkward. It'd be like you slept through the, the good news is that you're married. The bad news is you slept through the whole wedding, bro. It was so weird that that just happened. That's that's what what just happened is that Abram's asleep and God walked through the pieces himself. God walked through the pieces himself. And it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Jebusites. Um, uh, God walks through the pieces um, by himself. So what, is, what does that speak? What does that, what does that say, say to you? What does that say to us? Um, it says that, um, it says that, in Abram's, in Abram's doubt, um, God has invited Abram as a father, as a father to a father, um, to speak to him in a relational way. You know, God, um, Abram could have gone Sunday school mode with it. Like, Abram could have been like, um, uh, he, you know, God could have come down and said, hey, Abram, like, don't be afraid. I'm your shield and great reward. And Abram could have said, uh, Jesus, um, everything's good and uh, I'm happy and uh, I'm not afraid. What do you mean? I'm not afraid. Everything's good. Everything's great. Why are you saying that I'm afraid? And, and gone Sunday school mode. I could have gone plastic mode on it. Could have shuffled his fears under the rug. But that's not, that's not what happened at all. It was accredited to him as righteousness because he had a faith that it was big enough to have doubt. He was able to have a conversation. And if you think about it, if he wasn't able to have the conversation, it wouldn't traveled into the question, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need you to show me that I would know. And if he wouldn't have had that kind of a, 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 a doubt-safe conversation with God, he wouldn't have gotten to the covenant, which is uh, the basis of the promise that, that Abram is gonna believe from here forward and that we, we, can, we can believe as well. Um, but, but what's even more interesting than that is that the nature of the covenant is, is not normal in the way that most humans walk it out. As, I, as we talked about before, if you think about it, like God walked through the covenant himself. So what is God saying to Abraham about his certainty, about 
um, what, what Abram can believe and expect of God into the future. He's saying to Abram, not only, not only will I suffer the consequences, not only am I willing to, to die, if, if I fail to meet the, 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 the constructs of this contract, not only can you trust that I am putting my life on the line if I fail you, Abram, Abram, I'm gonna put you to sleep and walk down the path by myself because I'm gonna pay the price if you don't live up to your side of the covenant. I'm here to pay the penalty for myself if I default and negate on the, on the covenant and I'm here to pay the price if you fail as well. What, is it, what does God know? God knows that Abram can't fulfill the covenant. What, what's the covenant? To walk completely faithful to God, to always do what God says, to, to never to never sin, to never covet, to never act in any sort of unbelief, to never have any guile, to never be suspicious of God's, God's intent, to, to always believe, like even against you know, in, insurmountable odds in the place of famine, in the place of temptation, to, to, be, to be a human that walks you know, immune to the serpent. Like God knows that that's impossible for Abram to do. God knows that he can't live up to that side of the bargain. And so, and so, and so the, the, the ultimate analysis of, of the passage that we just read is on, on Good Friday, so many, you know, centuries later, when, when, when it says the whole earth goes black and, and it goes dark, and it says that, 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 God, that Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, there on the cross, commended his spirit and he gave up his life and, 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 it's, and it said that the, the curtain was completely torn and, and ruptured and the whole earth shook, the whole earth shook. And God had to pay the price. And so that becomes the question. So, so if, if God, if Jesus was fully God and fully man and, and he died, is it because that, that he failed or, or because somebody else failed? Because he failed or, or because somebody else did? This is the way that Hebrews talks, or Hebrews talks about it and helps us interpret the passage. Um, it's in Hebrews chapter six. And <clears throat> the writer says this. It says, when God makes a promise to Abram, he's talking about the passage that we just read. He says, um, people make promises by people that are greater than them. Like, I, like I'd say to you, um, I promise you that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll promise you I'll sell you my Air Jordans or whatever for whatever amount of money. And if you don't, then, you know, the government can come and arrest me. That's giving kind of credence to the fact that the government has more authority in the situation. But when God tries to make a contract like that, he's got nobody that's over him that can sort of enforce that. So that's what the passage is saying. It says, when God makes a promise to Abraham, there's no one greater than him to swear by. So he swears by himself. I will surely bless you and I will give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abram receives what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, the writer argues. And the oath confirms uh, what is said and puts an end to all arguments because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purposes very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have, uh, we have fled to take hold of the hope set before us uh, to be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for, them, for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus had entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest for or, forever in the order of Melchizedek. I think that if you have doubt in your heart and in your mind that you're in good company because all great people of faith have had to reckon with that. Doubt is just, doubt is just the experience that we have 
when we actually do hear what God says, actually do believe what God is, was saying we should believe, and then encountering something that's opposite to that. And we are seeing a story that has matured over 25 years at this point. It's a story that is saying that, that Abram has lived for decades now and not seen, not only not seen what God has said is going to happen, uh, but seen in many ways the opposite of what God is going to happen. And he is responding to that as a part of his faith. And the Bible says that is called righteousness. Matter of fact, ignoring it or saying that it doesn't exist is, is not fullness of what Abram is practicing as faith and what God is crediting as righteousness. The fullness of faith is bringing all that we have and all of our concerns and all of our issues and all of our problems and bringing them all to the place of conversation with God. And, and what Abram has brought about through that initial conversation is the first uh, covenant, um, which the writer in Hebrews is comparing to the covenant of Jesus. And that is this, is that we can, we can look to um, not just our feelings, not just another emotion or, or even another miracle or some prophetic word even coming true, but we can look to something that is an anchor for us. And that is what we need more than anything. If you, if you, if you actually paid attention, if you think about this, this is a guy that we mentioned maybe has one of the top five raw face-to-face encounters with God that we can think of in all of the Old Testament. And yet he's still sitting there asking God questions, which tells us something very important. And we know this, but we kind of don't believe it at the same time is that what we don't need actually to get our doubts settled down in our heart is to like see God or to see some sort of a miracle happen to prove that something uh, powerful can be. Time and time again, when you look at people that actually walk with Jesus, that talk to Jesus, that saw Jesus face to face and do things, you know, heal people and do great things and, and see miracles happen, they don't walk away with any more faith than anybody that didn't see it, Right? So this is, what, this is what I think the testimony of Abraham is showing us, that Abram's in the, the presence of God, talking to God, asking him questions, and uh, he still has that doubt. He still has that doubt. He's still lacking in something. He's still needing in something. And so he asks him the question, what is it the thing that I can know? What's the thing that I can know? And that's where, where, where God gives him the response, and I think where we can find our response this morning as well. This is the place that we can find resolution for our doubt. And really the only place that we can find resolution to our doubt is the covenant and the cross of Jesus. This is what I would say to you, you know, this morning. Like, like when we go through our, our decades, our 25 and our 50 and our 175 years, like we run up on our, on our fair share of doubts. That, that's, that's part of the process. It's not a detour. It's, it's a pathway. It's, it's a prescription. It's part of the process of learning to follow Jesus, to look like him. And this is what has been given to us, that we might grab hold of it. James says that doubt is like a wave. It moves back and forth. It says that the person that doubts is double-minded in all that they do. And, and it's not, why are you going to blame a wave for being a wave? A wave is a wave. A wave doesn't have anything to stand on. But what Hebrews tells us is that the cross is given to us for a very specific purpose, and that is that the cross becomes an anchor for us. I, I remember I was, I was riding on uh, Fr- Freddie and Mary Lee's boat. I don't know if you guys remember Freddie and Mary Lee Biggers. And he would just like go on Lake Jocassee, and he wouldn't like pick up the anchor all the way, but the anchor would just kind of like drift and drag. But every now and again, when it was time to like, you know, jump off, and they would go scuba diving, and we'd go fishing and all that kind of thing, they would just drop the anchor down, and the anchor would catch there's a difference between an anchor dragging on the ground and an anchor catching. Anchor dragging along is just like anything else. It's a heavy thing that it doesn't actually like find itself. But if an anchor can catch, if it can get some old, you know, whatever, rusty ship at the bottom or a rock or a log or something that's heavier than the boat, then the boat can actually be secure. The boat can actually hold. And that's what I think that the passage is saying. 
is saying that the cross is here to be the only evidence and the only proof that we need for our times of faith and our times of doubt. If we, were, if we are to put our eyes on a circumstance or the coming true of a miracle or the coming true of a promise in, in the order and succession that we desire it to be, we'll always, always be fleeting. We'll always be, as James says, a wave that's on the ocean that's being tossed to and fro. But I think the passage is inviting us to something more, to something deeper. As we encounter, as we encounter the Gary Fan moments, you know, as we encounter the faith that's deferred and the hope that's deferred, and when we encounter discouraging circumstances, you know, when, when you see the church, and if you've lived for a long amount of time, you, you might have reason to be discouraged about the, the way the church is right now. You might be, have a reason to, to be discouraged about the way that our politics is right now. You might be, have reason to be, to be doubtful about, right? Like, does anybody here doubt about what God might be doing in our public school system? Or what might God might be doing in, in, our, in our political landscape these days? Like, does anybody doubt sometimes? Like, do you ever wrestle with me? Like, that the things that happen don't necessarily line up with what God is saying? That evil seems like it wins and that God doesn't seem like he takes care of widows and orphans and it doesn't seem like there's healing for people and it doesn't seem like there's hope on the horizon. It seems like we're five steps backwards rather than two steps forwards. And when we look at the circumstances around us and we, and we pray, you know, like I think there is like an excitement, let's say, if we're in the presence of God or in a place of prayer or in, in a place where we do see something hopeful, you know, but, but, but the, the, the fickleness of that wave is that if it's not anchored in the cross, in the, in the covenant of God, it's, it, it has that propensity to be here today and, and gone tomorrow. But I think that the story is inviting us to put our anchor down into something deeper. This is the intentional question that I'll leave us with, and I'm sorry I talked so long, and I'll, I'll just close this in prayer. But um, it simply says this. I want you to think about um, something that you might have categorized in that category of, of doubt this morning. It's a good thing, not a bad thing, to bring questions to God, like, why isn't this happening? It shows us that our faith's alive and that it's not just buttoned up so that we look right and play the part. It shows us that we actually believe. It shows us that we have, you know, blood run through our veins, that we really do believe that God is big enough to heal and God is big enough to change and do something different. And God is big enough to be different in the church than outside in the world. Like we should still believe that. And if, if we see things that don't match up with that, that should still agitate us. That shows us that our faith is alive if we are asking and wrestling and, and, and asking these types of questions. But what, that, what those things are brought up in us for is not just for no reason or to, you know, bloom into something dangerous or into unbelief. What that question is for is to come and, and draw us towards the cross of Jesus Christ, towards the covenant. And that's what my question would be to you is if you had that thing and you put it before the cross, right? What louder of a symbol? Like, like what needs to get louder than that message? Than the message, like, like, like when you look at the cross and you ask the question, I mean, how obvious is it? Like, is God for us when we look at the cross? Is, is God against us or is he like, is he for us or against us? Like if you look at the, if you look at his son giving up his last breath, when you look at all of heaven and earth, you know, trembling, when you look at his giving up his spirit, his dying, and then his being raised on the third day, like what else message can we derive from that? Like, is he giving up on us? Is he, is he and can he bring healing? Can he bring resurrection? Can he change? Like, what other message can you get when you look at, at, at the cross of Jesus Christ? And I think that's, that's what the author of Hebrews is, is trying to say, and I think that's what the story can tell us this morning. 
is the correct place to put our doubts is towards the cross. Why don't you stand and I'll pray us out this morning. I appreciate your um, extra patience this morning with me <laughs> moving through um, the outline. I think my uh, mind has been a little bit foggy, but I, I pray that, um, that um, his spirit would minister to us in this, in this last moment here as, we, as we're together. Um, and so, Holy Spirit, um, I, thank you for, um, I thank you for this time as you have um, just led us through passage by passage in the study of Genesis and had us come to this point of you um, cutting covenant with Abraham. I sense um, a lot of connection, honestly, with, uh, with his story coming to this place of living long amounts of life through this series of attrition, you know, a faith attrition of not seeing things sometimes in their time or seeing the opposite of what you've said. You've said. Um, and my, 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 my guess is, you know, my instinct is, is that's how many of us feel if we were really be honest with ourselves. That many of us see things, you know, and experience things because that is the nature of the world. We don't live in the, the era to come. We live in the era now. And um, we experience that. Um, but my prayer, just in line with that question, what I, what I believe is the passage uh, this morning, um, is, um, is that these things would not lead us to discouragement, but instead lead us to, lead us to the cross that these things would lead us to what is certain, to what has been established, to what is done, to what is finished. And so um, <clears throat> I just bless each and every hearer in this room um, to hear and see, you know, this morning, even in this prayer right now, um, a revelation of your cross and what that means. God, that we would, um, in, in our lives, however old we are and however long we've been walking with you, um, man, there's so much Christianity and culture that goes on. There's like a lot of songs and different denominations. And a lot of people have a lot of things to say about who you are. But God, I just, um, I'm asking that um, just in this time that you would confront doubt, you would engage it, and you would um, transform it into faith um, through the power of your resurrected son and through um, the ministry of the cross. And so for each of us, um, in this hour and, and as we maybe meditate in, throughout the week through group and through ongoing conversations. Um, help us to see your cross. Help us to see a faith that's built on something more than um, just a good feeling or a hope or, or a whimsy or uh, something that makes us feel warm inside, um, but that is based on an anchor, that is anchored in the cross, that is established in what you've done in your son, that you have walked through the pieces and that you've paid your price and you've paid our price. And, uh, and so that we would, we would be able to ask good questions and, and wrestle through, but we would always know that we would know that you've answered the question of knowing that you are for us, that you can't be against us, that you are with us, that you've not given up on us. And for every heart and every soul that wants to give up and wants to give in and is lonely and doesn't never see you know, the light of day or the light of the horizon of hope, I pray that you would help them to see, not just see with their eyes, but see with their heart what the cross is and what's, what it means. We thank you for, uh, for, for what you've done and for what you've given up for us on our behalf. And um, we thank you that um, you are helping us see it through the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.